Tudo bem, meus queridos Fomo Sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese, and as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I'm a FOMO Sapiens. And since you're here, I'm going to bet that you are too. And when you're like us and Monday comes around, you don't dread the new week. No, you wake up every Monday morning knowing that this week might just be the best one yet. This is Faux Monday, the snackable show that starts your week right with hot takes, life hacks, listener mail, and even some FOMO therapy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Faux Monday, the companion show to FOMO Sapiens, which of course we're going to have another episode on Thursday, so prep yourself for that. But for now, it's Monday. Happy Faux Monday. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, FOMO Sapiens 24-7 and lean startup Stan. Now, if you don't know what that means, Google it, but it means I love the lean startup. So having the inventor of the lean startup on last week's show. It was a highlight. I really was excited. I'm still excited. I mean, what a great conversation we had. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the lean startup because maybe you got a little, you know, sort of an hors d'oeuvre there or, you know, you got your first course, but you want the full meal. So I just want to talk about the lean startup, why I think it's important, kind of what it's about and how it's affected my thinking. But before we do that, listener mail, love me some listener mail. And I got a really awesome note from Jeffrey Nicholson via LinkedIn. That's right, folks. If you message me on LinkedIn, I read, unless you're somebody who's trying to sell me an SEO services or a website, in which case I don't read it. But if you send me a nice note with thoughtful comments on FOMO Sapiens, I read them and I write back. And so Jeffrey and I have been exchanging a couple of notes and here's what he said. He was reacting to my show with Michael Hendricks and the Faux Mondays with my brother, Michael, about improvisation and business. And he says, hi, Patrick, your program yesterday with your brother was super. I got so many ideas from it for my mentoring practice with startups. Huge bang for the buck. In particular, I am thinking about how to practice certain behaviors such as inspiration, questioning, and encouragement, and rehearsing approaches. Kind of like listening to individual instruments and also applying Mike's ideas on awareness and focusing on exactly what is going on around me. Hendricks was also great last week as well. So nice to get a perspective from outside business. I do like your podcast. Keep up the great work. Now, he also said, I just remembered this publication by BCG, now it's Boston Consulting Group, issued in 1990 called Jazz versus Symphony. It is 
apparently he worked there. And so John Clarkson, who was the CEO at the time, wrote it and he was very inspiring. And you can find this if you go to the bcg.com website, just search for strategy jazz versus symphony. So first of all, Jeffrey, thank you so much. So nice of you to write in. And I just think it's cool that you shared that link. So people who want to learn more, especially thinking about the symphony versus the jazz. I like that topic. Very interesting stuff. I read the piece and I liked it. Now, The Lean Startup. Okay. So the title of the book by Eric Reese is The Lean Startup, How Today's Entrepreneurs Use Continuous Innovation to Create Radically Successful Businesses. And his mission in writing the book, so he writes, was to improve the success rate of new innovative products worldwide. And basically, he recommends doing two things, two big ideas here. Number one, be tolerant of all mistakes the first time. Number two, never allow the same mistake to be made twice. Like that, right? Tolerate those mistakes, but don't repeat them. It's a a rules to live by, really. And he writes... It's very interesting. The lean startup takes its name from the lean manufacturing revolution that Taichi Ono and Shigeo Shingo are credited with developing at Toyota. Maybe you study that at some point. I studied it in business school. You might have done the same. If not, you should look it up. It's pretty interesting. TPS, Toyota Production System. Among the tenets are drawing on the knowledge and creativity of individual workers, the shrinking of batch sizes, just-in-time production and inventory control, and an acceleration of cycle times. So much production language here. It's just like, man, it's a lot. It's taking me back to my operations class in school. And it shows you how to build quality products. So that is the notion of lean. And, you know, if you don't know about lean, it's a whole, it's like one of these things. It's like people get certified in it and they build a career around it. So it's plenty of content out there for you. But I I don't know that much about lean and I still found the lean startup to be extraordinarily, extraordinarily helpful. Now let's talk about a couple of the steps. So basically the, 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 the notion behind this is that there is a process to entrepreneurship that can be learned and the role of a startup, the goal of a startup is to figure out the right thing to build, something that actually customers want to pay for as quickly as possible. So don't dilly dally, like figure out what they want to pay for and then build it and do that process as quickly as possible. And also it's based on this idea that customers don't just tell you what they want. They reveal the truth through their action or inaction. And so you just got to test and validate your value and growth hypothesis. And so there's this whole notion that we're going to talk about in a second on the other side of this break about minimum viable products and how they are used to go through a process where you build something, you measure its success and you learn, and then you basically adopt Stop that and you change it and you keep going as quickly as possible. So we're going to talk about that today. What I think is so cool about that stuff and why it impacted me in just a second. FOMO. FOMO. All right. So I remember the moment I read The Lean Startup. I don't know who gave it to me or where I got it. Actually, I got it at the Strand. So I got it secondhand. Sorry, Eric Reese, but you know, it's good for the environment. And I was on a flight and it was like, I had left my corporate job. I was in the world of startups again, but like I had this old mindset because I started my career when a company wanted to, to, to get going, they'd raise a big pile of cash, you know, millions of dollars and they would build and build and build and build and spend all the money to build something. And then they would launch it and they'd say like, Ooh, do people like it or not? (laughs) 
sounds crazy now, but it's true. And that's why the 2000, 2001 tech bubble burst because like companies raised tons of money, built things nobody wanted, nobody used them. And then, you know, end of story. So when I read this book with this idea that like, you got to figure out what customers want. You need a minimum viable product. In other words, you build something cheap, then you test it and test it and test it. And not for very long, right? <laughs> I said three tests, just test it. Then the next day, you figure out what you learned and then you move forward. You either change it, you change direction or you keep going. That notion is so important because you don't need a lot of money to innovate. And that's, by the way, this whole mindset is why you have these tech accelerators like Y Combinator and I mean, there's a million out there, right? That give companies small amounts of money. They say, spend six months figuring this out. Talk to customers, iterate, change, pivot, all that sort of stuff. That is where this comes from. So like this book started a revolution. It really did. And what I've heard about Eric, I've not met him. So Eric, if you're listening, let's hang out. But we know some people in common. And it's like he went around the world talking about this idea before he wrote the book. And then when the book came out, people kind of knew about it. And so they all clamored to buy it. And it became this sort of like, you know, it's a very fundamental business book in the world. It's one of my, I always recommend this book to any entrepreneur. Even today, it's just like timeless, right? And why is that? I'll tell you the three things that really stick out to me. Number one, the notion of the MVP, minimum viable product. The idea that when you're coming up with something new, it doesn't have to just be a product at a startup. It can be really anything. And I think, you know, entrepreneurship is broader than just right products, of course. But the MVP, it's the quick and dirty. It's like, here's what we want to do. We've built a prototype that somebody can use. Um, we didn't spend a lot of money on it, but we're going to like throw it into the market. We're going to see how customers interact. And I remember... I had these friends who wanted to start a business. They were doing like deliveries of furniture in Norway. And instead of building a website and a product and an app and all that sort of stuff, they just, they put flyers in an Ikea and with a phone number. And they said, do you need delivery of the things you just bought? And then they had a phone number uh, that people would call and they had a spreadsheet and they just answered the phone. And then they'd send a car and they didn't have to spend any money. It was very low cost and they could figure out Okay, do people want to use this? What are their feedbacks? What is making sense here? What's not? And they could do all that before they had to raise money or, or spend money. And so like, that's the idea of the MVP. It's really powerful. And it's crazy to me that it wasn't like that before, this book, <laughs> but it's true. Number two, vanity metrics. Now, oh, the vanity metric is a favorite. So in the book, basically, there's this idea that a lot of times when companies, they, you know, they make their MVP and they, they put it into the market and they get so excited, like, oh, we had, you know, a thousand visits to our website or, oh my goodness, we had all these downloads. Yeah, that's great. But what if the people visit the website, they stay for two seconds and they leave or they download the app and never use it again, right? So these are metrics that can look really good. Oh, we grew 3% last week. But if they're not actually going to generate revenue, then who cares? And those are called vanity metrics. And so I, I just love that because, you know, so many times people, they, they like to tell you, oh, we have all these metrics. And you look at, you know, I, I sit and go to board meetings and you get these, these uh, pages of like our KPIs and stuff. And it's sort of like, well, is that really an indicator of, success or are you just putting that in the old deck because it's going up and to the right and you want me to feel good about your progress, right? And so just that whole concept I thought was so powerful when I read it and I still do. And finally, the pivot. 
the notion that if things aren't working, you got to move into another direction and move quickly. Like that word pivot wasn't, we use it all the time now, right? I mean, everybody talk pivot. I'm going to do my pivot, this, that, and the other. No, that was not talked about, at least as I know of. I can't remember talking about it before I read this book. And now it's everywhere. So that notion of pivoting, it's so critical in in the zeitgeist today and how we talk about our lives, our careers, our businesses. But it started, at least for me, in the lean startup. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And of course, the lean startup, you know, I think the 10% entrepreneur couldn't exist without it. So another reason I love it. But if you have a book you like or you have feedback or you have thoughts on this book, The Lean Startup, drop me a note. Let's connect to Patrick McGinnis or Twitter at PJ McGinnis or Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, if you drop me a comment and it's a good one, I will definitely share it in the future. So until then, take care of yourselves, FOMO Sapiens, and I will see you on Thursday. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO. Want more FOMO Sapiens and FOMO Monday? Head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis and on Twitter at PJ McGinnis. 